move along. So, good morning to one and all, and welcome to Christian uh, Outreach Centre here at Charters Towers, and also for those joining with us online on our podcast service. I'm so pleased and so pleased that you've all come here today, and for those also joining with us. And I, I trust that today's message will build your relationship with God and build your faith in Him. That's our, our deepest desire. That's what we pray for. That when you hear the Word of God, it's going to bring trans, transformation to your life, build your life, and make us stronger in Him. Uh, this morning, I want to recap and then continue on from the midweek's message, and uh, being now part two, the covenant-keeping God. And it's such a vast uh, subject, uh, the covenant-keeping God, or the God of the covenant, that you could actually preach the covenant from now till Christmas very, very comfortably because such, it's such a deep subject, it's such a vast subject, such a, it's, it can be complex, and, uh, but I just want to continue on uh, in the vein of Wednesday night's message. So I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't heard that message, go to the Spotify or uh, Podbeam and listen to that message because uh, it will uh, it definitely increase your uh, understanding of the God of the covenant. But what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise that is considered unbreakable by both parties. Now there's a new innovation for this generation, a promise. Who know what who knows what it is to keep a promise these days or to keep even to their word these days. It's a it's unbelievable. It's not entered into lightly and is broken only as it, as it is between say, uh, between man by the death of one party, as, as is in the case of a marriage covenant. That covenant holds firm till the death of the one party. A covenant can between, be between individuals, as it was, as I said, between Jonathan and David. They had a covenant together. And uh, in addition to that, it, it can be between a king and his people, and it can become between God and his people. We, we have a covenant-keeping God. Traditionally, man has been a covenant-breaker, which is why the Old Testament is filled with covenants, because God is a covenant-keeper, but we traditionally, and the word that used is we transgress, and there's three normally words used for wrongdoing, and they would be transgression, iniquity, and sin, but transgression refers mainly to covenant or breaking of the promise, or breaking of our word. That's what really transgression is. And so a covenant can be between either one of those parties. And you are only, and I, are as good as our word. And when you give your word and then break that word, traditionally we have known in times past that your reputation has no regard if you're a person who can't hold to their word, and we are considered then generally of no value. People would look upon him and they say, oh, I am, don't believe what he says. But isn't it good when, you, when somebody says yes to something, you go away with an assurance and know that is a done deal. Isn't that good assurance when you're dealing with what's, what's called integrity in somebody's word? It's a fantastic thing. And so both Jesus and James, that's the Lord's brother even in the natural, they put it so simply. Jesus said in Matthew 5.37, he said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Isn't that simple? And so James reiterated in that in James 5.12. He said, let your yes be yes, 
and your no be no. God considers a covenant promise as binding. Do you, with your word, do I, when I make my word or give myself a word, when I say to somebody, I'll be there at 8.30, does getting there at 8.31 make me a liar? Well, it certainly doesn't if I get there at 8.25, does it? But see how we can hold to our word. How serious, however, does God regard this powerful agreement? And it is more than a contract, a treaty, or just an agreement. The word covenant, as I discussed on Wednesday night, is far, far deeper than any of those words could ever be. And um, so I'd like us for us to go, if we could, to Joshua chapter 9. And uh, I wasn't going to bring this word like this till the Lord changed my tack early this morning. So I had a whole heap of other material that I really wanted to bring, but I know when the Lord is speaking to me to bring something. So I'm going to be talking about the tribe who inhabited Israel before the children of Israel came into the promised land. And they were a people, one section was inhabited by the people called the Gibeonites. And we can go to Joshua chapter 9, and we can see that there is a people called the Gibeonites had heard what Joshua had done to Jericho. Jericho was a highly fortified, fortified, strengthened city, and yet Joshua brought down those walls after they marched around it for seven days and cried, Hallelujah, on the seventh, and the walls came down. And uh, also to that city of Ai. It goes on to say, and the fame of the Lord your God and all that he did in Egypt. You can see that there in verses 9, 10 and 11 and, uh, of chapter 9. They had heard of what Joshua had done to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. Og is the, the guy who had a bed that was huge, nine foot tall or something like that, a big steel bed. He was a giant. And yet Joshua took those kings and took that land because God it was a promised land to him. And they didn't want to, the Gibeonites didn't want to be next on Joshua's hit list. And when he was taking the promised land and they feared for their lives. Can you understand why they would want to try and make a, an agreement with Joshua before they came in and flattened the land? Because that was what was about to happen. The Gibeonites, it said, devised a crafty scheme. That's what it says. In chapter 9 and verse 3, it says, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins, and mended an old patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and mouldy. And so it was all a Hollywood stage production. And they went in. Uh, Tom Cruise had nothing on these guys. These were great actors. Amen? Arnold Schwarzenegger had nothing on these guys. Amen? These were great actors. They went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. There is that word, covenant. On Wednesday night, I described at length what, a, what is in a covenant. So I encourage you to go to that message and listen to it. And so 
And so in that, Joshua didn't ask counsel of the Lord, it says in Joshua 9.14. So the deception and the bait was swallowed, hook, line and sinker. And when you're not prayerful in, in your life, you will swallow whatever the world's got to, got to offer you, hook, line and sinker, if you don't consult with the Lord. Amen? The Lord is there, not to be worshipped, not just to be worshipped, not just to be, not to be, but to be consulted. The Lord is your counsellor. Remember that says? Your counsellor, as it says in Isaiah 9. And so Joshua's sin in the relation to swallowing the lie is that he did not take counsel of the Lord. To paraphrase, paraphrase uh, chapter 9, verse 15, 16 to 19, Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And so in 9.16, it says, so three days later, after they had made this agreement, this treaty, and this covenant, they heard that in fact they were neighbours who dwelt near them. They were only a valley and a hill away. They were with, probably within about 10 kilometres of where Joshua was. Israel is tiny, is a tiny land. It fits into the Charters Towers region three times. That's how tiny Charters, that's how, that's how tiny, sorry, Israel is. It fits into the Charters Towers region three times. And they were only just over a hill or two away. And uh, they made treaty them. Joshua in uh, chapter 9 and verse 19 Joshua and the elders realized that they could not do anything to the Gibeonites and they could not touch them. But you think, why not? They were lying, deceiving scoundrels, the whole lot of them, actors. Because they realized the meaning of this amazing word that I want to expand in your thinking and understanding because your life with God and how you expect things from God, for God to work through you, to work through this church and all these sort of things, relies on your ability, not just faith, but your understanding of this incredible word called covenant. It is not a small word. It cannot be contained in the word a contract or a treaty or an agreement or anything like that. Those words fall far, so far fall short of, of the word of the meaning covenant that you need a whole di uh, a dictionary of words to try and describe what this word covenant means. So there are great benefits but when you make a covenant with somebody. A king makes it with his people or amazing covenants with God and us. And so benefits of the relationship when two parties enter into covenant. And it could be said, if I make a covenant with somebody... All that I have is yours, should you ever need it. Oh, isn't it good? All that I have is yours, should you ever need it. And all that you have can be mine or available to me, should that I ever need it. Whether it be food, clothing, shelter. And so, I've, as I've said before, when you're going to make a covenant or agreement with someone, make it with somebody rich, far richer than yourself, amen? Don't look for someone who's poor. In addition to that, if I am under attack, you will come to my rescue and I will come to your rescue. So I think if you're going to make a covenant with someone, don't, 
Don't have a covenant with somebody who's weak, who's got no substance or resources or anything. Choose someone who's more powerful than you, amen? That's smart. The Gibeonites were smart. They knew the word and the meaning of the covenant. In fact, all ancients do. And so the covenant is more than just some feeble, negotiable contract or treaty devised by a lawyer. We could have a contract these days and the full stop's in the right place, in the wrong place, and it makes null and void your claim. That's our, that's our modern system. It's not really, a, it's a legal system, but it's certainly not a system of law. <laughs> it's a legal system, but it's not righteous, is it? What's necessarily legal and righteous are totally two different things. The author Malcolm Smith, he wrote a fantastic book on the blood oath or the blood of the covenant. And he says it's the giving of one's whole person and life to another and the wholehearted receiving of that other person and his or her life. The giving of your life to something. That is how far this agreement goes. That in fact the needs of the other person are greater than your own. Isn't that a novel idea for us today? Others may enter into this covenant should so the desire, and as was the covenant that God made with, uh, with Noah, his wife and his sons and his sons' wives and their descendants were able, enter, were able to enter into this covenant that God made with Noah, as also the Abrahamic covenant that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their descendants all entered into this Abrahamic covenant. Remember that? You and I as descendants are also in this covenant. Did you know that? The Abrahamic covenant is still in existence today. Still in existence today. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Amen. Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. And we can see, see that Abrahamic covenant still being played out where? In Israel to this very, very day. And also to those who want to enter into. The Abrahamic covenant of provision for finance is still available to us today. And so it came to pass that the Gibeonites came under attack from five kings of the Amorites. And the reason was simple. They saw that the Gibeonites had made a, a covenant with the children of Israel. And so they ganged up on them and says, well... They treated them as sellouts, amen? That's why they did it. The Gibeonites then tested the integrity of their covenant relationship with Joshua and they call upon their covenant rights. And nowhere in here does it say that the Gibeonites reminded Joshua of the covenant agreement. It was assumed to stand. The ancients all understood blood covenants, amen? as do indigenous tribes uh, up until probably the last generation throughout the nations of the whole of the earth. They all understand blood covenants to this day. So the Gibeonites put this test, this blood covenant to the test, and they were being invaded or ganged up against by five Amorite kings. And so what did they do? They called upon Joshua. It says in the period of time, so it was quite soon. They, quite soon, they had to put this covenant to the test. And so they called on Joshua to come to his defense. Because they were blood covenant, they were in blood covenant relationship, 
Joshua had to honor the covenant. And you and I would think, but they lied and they deceived and they were better than any Hollywood actors. They were gammon, they were liars, they were thieves. They misrepresented the whole situation. They entered, Joshua entered into the covenant and yet Joshua still had to honor the covenant. Does that sound unfair to you and I? It sort of does, doesn't it? But that is how seriously God looks at covenant, the substance of covenant. When you say something, that you will do something, that you will be somewhere, that you will come to something, that you will attend something, that you will support something, that is what, how God regards your word. And I, I have to ask myself, Jeff, are you a covenant-keeping man? You have to ask yourself, am I a covenant-keeping God or a man or woman? Amen? Is your yes, yes, and is your no, no? But Joshua, so isn't this amazing? So here we are now in chapter 10 of Joshua chapter 10. And it says in verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Incredible, isn't it? And so they called upon Joshua and the covenant, making no reference to the covenant because it was believed, it was understood to be in place. And in that time, nobody went against their covenant. Amen? Amazing. And so if I'm under attack, which is really the benefits of covenant, when two parties enter into a covenant, all that I have is yours, all that you have is mine, whether it be food, clothing, shelter, and anything like that. And so that covenant agreement, more than just a negotiable contract, it is a blood oath. In fact, the covenants that God makes with man are all sealed by the shedding of a blood. Amen? It's like a royal signature. Blood is shed to seal the deal. Can I say that again? Blood is shed to seal the deal. And the blood of goats and bulls and all those sorts of things, all exercised in the tent of meeting in the Old Testament Levitical law, were all a shadow of the blood that was to come. Amen? And the word atonement means that something is covered by the blood. But that word atonement is almost totally non-existent in the New Testament. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ removes sin, as if you had never committed that sin. It doesn't cover it, it removes it. The Old Testament blood, amen, it just covered it. It put a mat over the dirt. That's all it did. Who's ever swept a bit of dirt under a mat when the visitors were coming? <laughs> Not Lorena and certainly not Jules. When everybody went home last night, Jules got out the vacuum cleaner, washed all the floors and everything like that. The place was just immaculate. Amazing, isn't it? She's a wonderful woman. Wonderful, wonderful. But who's ever done that? Swept a bit of dirt under the mat? That's what the old covenant did. That's what the old, that's what the blood of bulls and goats and all that sort of, that's all it did. It covered it. But in the New Testament, through the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, that blood was shed and everything is wiped away. It's non-existent. 
as a non-existent thing. Oh, it's good stuff. But anyway, so here he is. Joshua now uh, is in the presence now of these five Amorite kings and all their armies, and he needs the Lord's help. And he's, basically, when you read between the lines, you can see that Joshua called upon the Lord to help him fulfill his covenant agreement that he made with the lying, deceiving Gibeonites. And so what does Joshua do? It doesn't say that here. But what he did is then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, is this a faith? Is this amazing faith? Is this arrogance or the, or the audacity of this man? He said, sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is that incredible faith? What causes people to say and believe for certain things? And you say, that is a person of amazing faith. That's what we say, don't we? And from the outset, we think, oh, that's just faith. Somebody who's operating at a level of faith, a capacity to believe that I don't have, or is it a person who understands the covenant that he has with Almighty God? You see, Joshua was a, a blood covenant child, circumcised as a, as a sign of that covenant. Blood is shed in the act of circumcision when a boy is circumcised at eight days old. There's a bloodshed, but it is a, see, a sign that that person has entered into covenant relationship with God in the Old Testament. And so to this day, the Jewish people still circumcise their young on the day eight, which is basically, they say, is the best day in the whole life of a male to be circumcised as day eight. Scientists and people in the medical field will agree and do agree with that fact. Amen? Joshua needing help in fulfilling his covenant agreement with the lying, deceiving Gibeonites now calls upon his covenant-keeping God. You see, as the Gibeonites called upon Joshua to fulfill his covenant agreement, so now Joshua calls upon his covenant-keeping God, who is a righteous and holy God, amen? Not a lying, deceiving person who lies. God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't have it in him to lie, amen? It's not in his capacity to that. And so that is what gave Joshua, not this great faith, but this great understanding that he was in covenant relationship with God, and so he could call upon the sun and moon to stand still while he defeated his enemies. Amen? And God heard his prayer. In fact, it wasn't even like a prayer. It was just, sun, stand still over Gibeon. It was a declaration, and I've heard that. I've prayed like this in the past. It wasn't a plea to God to do something. It was a, you shall declare a thing, and it shall be established for you. Amen? That's says Proverbs. You shall declare a thing. When there's a level of faith and understanding, you know God, and God knows you. You are, you are in this covenant relationship, and so the sun stood still and the moon stopped. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He, he, he created the physics and every other natural order of the earth. 
and be, he says, in the beginning, God created. And anything that you create, you have order over. And if God wants to make the sun stand still, he'll make it stand still. If he wants the moon to stand still, it'll stand still. And you think, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he stood back and it was good. Amen? And so now it was actually being put out of order by a man's decree. Sun stands still. But you'll see that later on in the book of, I think it was when Hezekiah, the king, the good king Hezekiah, and he was, and the Lord told him that he was going to die. But he asked the Lord in prayer that, and Isaiah returned to King Hezekiah, and he says, the Lord will heal you. And he gave him another 15 years to live. And he says, what will be the sign that I will receive my healing and that I will be given another 15 years to live. And he said, the, the, uh, the sun or the shadow on the steps will go back 10 degrees. And that is the point in Scripture where things were brought back into its original alignment. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? You think, oh, well, if, if, if it was just left like that, it means it would be out of kilter. God created the heavens and the earth. He stood back. It was good. It was perfect. You can't do better than that. Perfect is perfect. And here it says sun and moon stand still. So there was a disorder to benefit God's creation when they called upon his name. And then it was brought back into alignment. The sun and the moon brought back into their correct alignments at that point when Hezekiah and Isaiah prayed. Amazing, isn't it? Such is the power of a covenant-keeping God. I said two weeks ago, I said when I was doing a whole heap of concreting at the university, at the, at the James Cook University building, the Central Energy Plant building, and there was rain all around, and I put my hands and I said, it will not rain. I wasn't asking the Lord, it was a declaration, because I understand that I serve and are part of a covenant-keeping God relationship. And why are these covenants instituted in all the Old Testament and the eternal covenant in the new is because God wants relationship. This relationship, its motive is only love. The Hebrew word is often used with this word a covenant and it's mercy. In, in the Hebrew, it's called, it's called chesed. Can you say that? Chesed. Hey? Chesed. Mercy. And you see, God's love, it is God's love is the motivating factor. It is his mercy that he would even extend a covenant relationship with you and I. What is man that you are mindful of him? Why would an eternal God who created the heavens and the earth even want a relationship with you and I? Amen? It is purely out of mercy with the motivation of love. Amazing, eh? This is our covenant relationship with God. This is your covenant relationship with God. And so you think, I don't have the faith for that. Maybe you don't. But do you have the knowledge or the understanding that God wants you to succeed? God wants this church to prosper. God wants this region to come to Christ. God wants us to, uh, benef to benefit financially. He wants to see your children come to know him. It's all in this covenant relationship with God, backed by his mercy, motivated by his love.
Was it arrogance? Was it faith? No. Joshua knew the power of covenant with God. Elohim, the creator of the heavens and the earth. I'd like for us to go right now to Genesis chapter 17. And uh, we went through some of these scriptures on the Wednesday night, but I do feel I need to just go back a little here. I'd encourage you to write a few notes. Can you say? And you can. And the reason is so. I want to know if Pastor Jeff is telling me the exactly the right thing. Don't believe me. Believe the Word of God. Only believe me if what I preach lines up with the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, you can throw it in the trash with everything else. Amen. What I preach must line up with the Word of God. And so we see. Uh, Elohim, the God of creation in Genesis 1. And, uh, but God reveals himself uh, to Abram, the father of the faith. And when you're talking about covenants, it's very, very difficult to pass Abraham or Abram. We know that God made a, a covenant agreement with Noah. We know that. But there was a succession of covenants throughout the whole of the Old Testament. This is probably the most powerful covenant. And it says in verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And so God reveals himself for the first time in Scripture as almighty God. Almighty God. And so we see a progressive revelation to God through man, to man, through the word now. And uh, that word almighty God is El Shaddai. El is always in the Bible shortened form of uh, Elohim. Elohim. E-L is, and the him is removed. And Shaddai is the shortened form there of Almighty. I am Almighty God. And so it's good to understand who is the back of this covenant relationship. And when we're talking about Almighty God, we're talking about the one who is all conquerable, all powerful, and in whom all your needs are met. Amen? This is the Almighty. This is not just the Creator God, but this is Almighty God. That is the person, the powerful person, all-powerful, omnipotent, behind the promise, behind the agreement that you have. And when you declare something like, sun and moon stand still, finances begin to flow. You need a job? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, declare that into the realm of the Spirit. The Bible says that I create the fruit of the lips, says God. And so you create your world by the very, very words that we speak. If you're surrounded by chaos continually throughout your whole life, if you're surrounded by lack and division and strife and this and that, you have to ask yourself, if, the words, if I create my own words by my own lips... What am I speaking? And you can speak and minister life. Amen? In Deuteronomy 28, God says, I give you an option here. Choose life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who eat it will eat its fruit. Amen? So God considers the covenant promises binding into eternity, and so should we. Amen? And so... Uh, so it's Almighty God, unconquerable, the all-sufficient God, eternally capable of being all that He needs to you. 
Do you need anything today? Almighty God is back of the covenant that he has made with you. This idea somehow that we have to summon up all this faith, God said to each one he has deposited a measure or metron of faith. Amen? So that faith is in you. You don't have to work anything up. Sometimes we call it the penny drops, which means an understanding kicks in. And you can have a penny drop moment this morning, and I pray that you do. Have a penny drop moment today, right now. God is all sufficient for every need that you have. Why? Because God is God. He is almighty God. Do you need salvation? Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus is the Yeshua. It means salvation. Jesus means salvation. Amen? And so he's your defender, protector, preserver, sustainer, supplier, healer, restorer, mediator, and advocate. He is all those things as part of the covenant motivated by his love given to us in this chesed mercy. God, we don't, we can't, we don't deserve it. You don't want justice from God. You want mercy. Justice would see us all left the way before we came. If we got justice, none of us could survive. We need God's chesed, his mercy. So my question to you today is, have you come into this covenant relationship with Almighty God? Have you come into this relationship? But a fuller understanding of what you already have. It's already, it's already in your possession. You have the title deed, which is really what faith is, is the title deed. You have already this title deed of everything that God says you are. Through him. In Romans 1.31, I, I thought I'd uh, bring this out. I, it was the first time I've ever saw it, actually. It was yesterday afternoon. But Romans 1.31 says, without understanding, it says in the King James Version, it says covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful. That's, that's the Romans... Uh, King James Version, but in the New King James and the, in all other translations, it's just uh, translated as untrustworthy. So man was without understanding, untrustworthy. But in the King James Version, it says covenant breakers. And so we traditionally have become and are covenant breakers. But God is a covenant keeper. That's the title of my message today. Is part two of the covenant-keeping God. God is a covenant-keeper. He does not go against his covenant. The covenant is the frame. It's just not another topic in the Bible to study, like love or peace or mercy or grace. One of those. It's just not another little subject. Covenant, we have the Old and the New Testament, which is the Old and the New Covenant. And the covenant is the scaffolding by which everything else fits into. It's not just another subject. It is the framework for everything that is of God in the Old Testament to work in. The New Testament, the New Covenant, the New Agreement, sealed by the eternal, and then that's why it is an eternal covenant, because it's sealed with the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen? So Psalm 51, as I said before, speaks of transgression, sin, and iniquity, which are three descriptions of all wrongdoing, but transgression specifically takes talks about covenant breakers or those who break fellowship with or relationship with. So transgression is a word really 
to describe people who are who they transgress or sin in this area. And so it's put into effect, and we can see in the in the in Genesis 17, in 15, and even in the Garden of Eden, when God clothed Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, which is a form of religion. And that's what religion does. Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man's efforts to cover his nakedness. Isn't that interesting? They sewed fig leaves together. God took one look at that and said, that is useless. That'll be decayed by tomorrow afternoon. What then? (laughs) And so what did he do? He clothed them with an animal skin. In other words, there was a sacrifice, blood was shed, and God provided the covering or atonement. Old Testament is atonement, which means it's just covered. It's still there. New Testament is totally removed. Atonement is not a New Testament word. And so other terms used in the Bible for covenant, the word mentioned more than 250 times in the Old Testament, but it's over and over and over described in other words which we don't recognize as part of the covenant. As I've already mentioned, mercy, because God is pure mercy. But the other ones are uh, steadfast love. Why has God got a steadfast love towards each and every one of us? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. So we read steadfast love, but you could also insert that word covenant there. Steadfast and a covenant, an eternal covenant. God is unchanging. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord your God. I change not. I don't move the goalposts. Amen? Another word is he has a binding obligation. What about steadfast love? Or what about when you read unfailing love? Why is it an unfailing love? Because God is a covenant-keeping God. It's glorious stuff. Glorious stuff. I was thinking even this morning, you know, the ten spies, when they returned with Joshua and Caleb, they had no understanding of the covenant. No understanding. They saw giants. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. And they never saw themselves as being able to do anything. But Joshua and Caleb saw God. They didn't see the giants. They saw God. And a covenant-keeping person like you and I, we just see God in every situation. You might look at your bank account, but I see God. You see a doctor's report, but I see God. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. You see wayward children, but I say, I see God extending his covenant relationship to your children and your children's children's children, amen, to the third and fourth generation. What do you see when you see issues in life? When you see Charters Towers and spiritual barrenness, I say, I see God. I see God, a covenant-keeping God. Do you have to be a person always of immense faith and and you think, oh gosh, that's just for the chosen frozen? That's not for me. But just a greater understanding of your what is what is in this relationship that you already have. You can begin to move in an area. You know, when Peter walked past the gate called Beautiful, saw a lame guy on the steps from birth. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. There was a covenant-keeping God, he says, and signs and wonders and miracles and gifts and healings and all these sort of things. He just saw God. And you too, in your situation, begin to see your place in this covenant. 
Do we deserve it? No. No. A thousand times no, do we deserve it? Or no. But it doesn't come to us through being earning it or deserving it. Or it's no, it's just a we're in this covenant. God made a covenant relationship with you and I, and we're in this real and part of that relationship are the benefits of this relationship. Just a pure understanding without even knowing all the scriptures. You don't have to know all the scriptures. You don't have to know them all. Just understand who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And you can see your attitude when you pray. You won't be pleading. You won't be pleading with God, but there'll be more declaring and establishing in your prayer life. Amen. Just speaking things as though they are, things that aren't as though they are. Faith, the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. You just begin to speak it. You just begin to thank God in advance for things that are not even there. You say, thank you, Lord, for tremendous provision. Do you need a new home? Father, I thank you for this home. Father, I just give you the glory and honor because you're a covenant-keeping God. It's rightfully mine. It's not arrogance. It is just a thorough understanding of your relationship with God. Amen? Good stuff. It's good stuff. The other part of this before I close <coughs> is the unequal partnership of covenant. And I've, I've mentioned this already as part of the in, the, in the Hebrew, the covenant is brit. In the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, they use a word, a Greek word called diatheke. And really, there's, in, when making an agreement or this covenant relationship, there seems to be always one side of the party that seems to be the greatest beneficiary of this agreement. And you would have to say that if, when God's in trouble, he's going to call upon me. Amen? <laughs> you ever thought about that? That's really what covenant means. When God's broke, he can come and draw on my finances. And when I'm broke, I can draw upon his. Who's on the better end of the deal here? And so this feeble illustration, I, I used it even again on Wednesday, but it was just like a making a financial agreement, you and Bill Gates. And Bill says, listen, Jeff, all that I have is yours and all that, that, I, that you have is mine. And, uh, and you go, well, Bill, sign me up right now. Would you hesitate? Why do people hesitate with signing up with God? When the, some people think they're doing God the greatest favor by signing up with God. What a ridiculous... God sits in the heavens and just laughs at people. Uh, they seem to think they're doing the greatest favor of God when they cross over this threshold, walk in the church and say, Oh, my God, I'm here. You got me here now, yeah. Do you think God's the greatest beneficiary in this covenant-keeping thing? No. Bill Gates says, all that I have is yours and all that you have is mine. And, uh, and what do you bring Bill? You bring him your mortgage, you bring him this, you bring him that, you bring him your car payments, you bring him your rent, you bring him this and you bring him, you bring him the school fees. And, uh, and then what do you bring him? You bring him nothing. We bring him the debt. And in Christ, all things are paid for. Amen. The great exchange, we bring him sickness, he gives us healing. Oh, isn't it good? This is the great exchange which covenant provides. You bring your deficiency and tap into his all-sufficiency. You bring him your brokenness, he brings you wholeness. And really, that's what it... Uh, I, I was thinking about it very early this morning, and a, a new covenant is sealed with the blood of Jesus. That's true, isn't it? This new covenant... The whole of the New Testament is the covenant of 
It is the eternal covenant. It is sealed with the blood of Jesus. Amen? And so in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the removal of the dividing wall of separation. And we are separated from God because of sin. But we are joined to him. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. How are we joined to the Lord? We are joined to the Lord because of the blood. And when you join two pieces of timber together, when you do it well, the join is stronger than either side even of the component. Isn't it amazing? In laminating timber, the join is stronger than even the, the sides of it. Amen? What, what binds our covenant agreement with Jesus Christ and with God himself is the blood of the cross. We are laminated to him, joined to him. He who is joined to the Lord, one spirit with him. And when, when you're joined to the Lord, we lose our own identity. God himself even loses his identity to be joined with yours. And we become, as in a marriage situation, a father shall leave his mother and a woman shall leave her home. Leave and cleave. That's the word they use, isn't it? Leave and cleave or be joined together. And we see that in the marriage act. Blood is shed in the marriage act and that relationship is sealed. The marriage act is sealed with the blood, the shedding of blood. Amen? Same thing. And so you and I are made so much more the stronger because we are joined to the Lord through this covenant keeping God's arrangement for you and I. Oh, it's beautiful. If any man be in Christ, you're a new creation. Why? Because you're joined to the God of all creation. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this word. Oh, I didn't even want to, didn't even think I was going to be talking about Gibeonites this morning till about mid-morning. But, Father, I know, Lord, that you wanted to bring this word to reveal, Lord, how you regard covenant agreements how you regard our word with one another, how you regard our word with you, how you regard our word with husbands and wives to each other, how you regard our word just in our day-to-day -day dealings with people, that there is a covenant agreement, but oh so much more, Lord, with our covenant agreement with you, Father, because this agreement instituted by yourself, sealed and the sacrifice made with your son, Jesus, his blood was shed that you and I could be joined to you, Father. A covenant-keeping God who says, I will never leave you nor will be separated from you. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. You are joined to me, says God. You are joined to me, says God. Call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And you too can be like Joshua when fulfilling his own covenant with the nasty Gibeonites, liars and thieves. But Lord, you, Joshua then called on his covenant-keeping God. And it was a declaration, Lord God, of faith when he said, sun and moon stand still. And you heard, Lord God, that declaration. And Father, so it was. I pray, Lord God, not just an impartation of faith, but I pray understanding come now. Let the penny drop now. I pray in Jesus' name for this body of believers, Lord God, this morning. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Give us a greater understanding, Lord, of this wonderful covenant that you have brought us into. We can't even understand why you did it, which is why you gave us the faculty of faith. We just believe it. Father, I thank you, Lord. Let the blessing of heaven, Father, rest upon your sons and daughters here in the house today in Jesus' name. I pray heaven's richest blessings upon them in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Father, we take these emblems, Lord God, right now with a fresh revelation, Lord, of what is actually in our hands. A representation of an eternal covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus. This covenant, Father God, is eternal, paid for with the blood of your Son. We partake now, Lord God, and I pray with a greater understanding, Lord, that so much more, Lord God, is available to us under the terms of this amazing thing called the covenant. We thank you, Lord God, for it. Bring revelation, Lord God, to us, Lord God, today, supernaturally, in Jesus' name. Let's partake. Amen. Thank you, Lord God, today. Thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, as we go, we continue our fellowship, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for those who have provided food, Lord. And thank you for this day, glorious day. Thank you, Lord God, today. We are so grateful, so grateful, so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name.